It's almost an understatement to say that we are experiencing a construction boom right here in Middle Tennessee. Almost everywhere you look, uh, they're building new buildings, building lots of new houses all around. And you know, as you look at that, if you if you have an eye at all to construction methods and processes, you realize that there's been quite an evolution of building techniques, uh, especially in recent years. Uh, I, I think a lot of old timers would not be impressed with the soundness of some of the new construction techniques that are being used. One area in particular that I think is fascinating is what they're doing concerning building foundations for buildings. Uh, we, we understand that foundations are really an important thing. But now we see houses being built on soil that's just recently been moved. Maybe some fill dirt has been brought in, and before it's even well settled, they're building houses on that. Uh, uh, some of the houses that you see being built are not being built on what we, those of us who are older, what we would consider to be a solid foundation. In fact, there's some places in, in our country, I, I don't see it around here, but there's some places in our country where they're even building houses on wood foundations. They don't even have a solid bedrock of foundation at all. Uh, this just seems co- so contrary. I know there's arguments being made in favor of all those new techniques, but this just seems so contrary to our understanding of the principles of a needed foundation, a solid foundation. If you're going to have a house, make sure it's built on a solid foundation. You've got to start there. Well, the Apostle Paul used that same principle to make an, an analogy about the Lord's church. He said in that text that Joseph read for us just a moment ago that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. We want to investigate that this morning to try to understand what all is implied and taught when we consider that we, the Lord's church, are to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We stop here just briefly to thank you all for being here today. Uh, We've got several visitors. We're glad that you came our way. We know that not all of the roads are in great condition yet, especially the side roads uh, are still pretty ice-covered, and so you, you made a special effort to be present today, and we appreciate you for that. We're encouraged to be able to spend time together worshiping God. And it it would be a terrible thing if we weren't able to do so. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this. What about the church as the pillar and ground of the truth? Uh, What all does that imply? Well, I want to suggest to you that it implies that we have the job of several things. One of those things is that we have to determine what the truth is. Now, I want to be very clear about this, and I don't want there to be any question in anybody's mind. When we say that it is the church's job to determine the truth, we are not saying that it's the church's job to legislate matters. Uh, we're, We're not speaking in the legislative sense at all when we say it's the church's job to determine truth. Now, there are some religious folks who think that. And there are some religious bodies who do that. Uh, They gather in their conferences and their synods and their conventions, and they vote on various matters. In fact, they even vote on some very serious moral issues. And they try to determine what's right or wrong, and 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 they therefore establish their edicts. They determine truth in that fashion. We're not saying that here. We understand that that is not the church's role. 
We know better than that. In James chapter 4, verse 15, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. James 4, verse 12 says there's just one lawgiver. So this, uh, therefore, is God's realm, not ours. It's not ours to establish law. But we still hear people asking from time to time, what does your church teach about? And maybe they go on to ask, what does your church teach about something like marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Uh, What does your church teach about homosexuality or something of that nature? Uh, the, The fact of the matter is that churches may take different views. In fact, diametrically opposite views on a given doctrinal subject. In fact, we actually have an example of that. Last week we looked at the churches of Asia addressed in Revelation chapter 2 and verse, uh, chapters 2 and 3. One of those churches was Ephesus. And the Lord said to the church at Ephesus, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. And so they hated the, 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 whatever the Nicolaitans, we said, we don't know for sure what the Nicolaitans were standing for. But the church at Ephesus, to their credit, was hating uh, the work of the Nicolaitans. But the church at Pergamos in chapter 2, verse 15, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So here we have two churches in Asia, and they took the opposite view on this question of the Nicolaitans. Who was right? It didn't matter what those churches thought about it. The Lord said, which I also hate. Here was the determinant. What the Lord said about the Nicolaitans, not what Ephesus thought, not what Pergamum thought, what those churches taught on that, so it wasn't theirs to determine right from wrong, is what the Lord says. And that is still the case. So the right question is not, what does your church teach on this subject? The right question, rather, is what does the Bible say about it? And, and so when you address it that way, it becomes our job as the church to determine or understand the truth as God has revealed it. It's our job to understand the truth, to learn it, uh, what God wants from us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And so our job as the pillar and ground of the truth, the Lord's church, is to determine what is the truth that God has revealed. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Uh, and so if we're going to be the pillar and ground of the truth, then we have to determine what that truth is. And what that suggests then to us is that we need to be really knowledgeable about what's taught in the Word of God. Now, I want to say that I think that that's becoming an increasing problem among God's people. That that we as the church are not the knowledge base that we once were. I've mentioned many times to you in the past, you know, that in years gone by, Our friends in the denominations around were very hesitant to engage us in religious discussion because they knew that we knew our Bibles. And they knew that if they brought up a subject, we'd start quoting Scripture to them. And so they were hesitant to even engage us in that we were known as people of the book. Well, I'm not sure that that reputation is deserved as much anymore. 
It is our job to know the truth, to determine God's truth. And we need to work hard at having that knowledge base. If we're going to uphold the truth as the pillar and ground of the truth, we've got to know what it is, right? And so that suggests we need to be working very hard in the study of God's Word, knowing it, committing it to our knowledge. But more than just knowing the truth, I'm going to use the expression, we need to absorb the truth. Uh, so the first point could just be talking about sort of raw knowledge. How would you do on a Bible trivia quiz, for instance? Well, that's, that, that's fine. But we need to take that certainly a step farther than just having the raw basic knowledge. We need to absorb it, that truth, uh, suggesting that it needs to become the very basis of all that we think and do as God's people. We need to really absorb the truth. In James chapter 1, verse 21, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. This is an interesting word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. We get the idea of, of taking it in and of really making it a part of you. The King James Version there says the engrafted word. And so the idea of it is something fully incorporated into ourselves. So know the Word, but then just absorb it, incorporate it into your being. Let it be the basis upon which you make your decisions. Let it be in all of your thought processes and in all of your deeds. When you do that, then you are not hearers only, but you, are, you become doers of the Word. And that's what we've got to do. So... Receive with meekness the implanted or engrafted word. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. You see it? So absorb this truth. Know what it is first and then absorb it into your very being. If you were asked to honestly evaluate yourself, how, how, how would you rank on these first two questions? Do you know the truth? Have you made it a very, the very basis of your being? Everything you think and do is affected by it. That's all. If we're going to be the pillar and ground of the truth, that is absolutely necessary. Now, the next point is really an extension of this previous point. We need to determine the truth. We need to observe the truth. We need to live the truth. I think this perhaps is the most practical application of our principle. If we're going to be the pillar and ground of the truth, we have to live it in our daily lives. If we're not living God's truth in our daily lives, and by that what I suggest is if we're out in the, in the community setting a bad example before the people of this world, then we're failing in the most literal and the most essential way in regards to being the pillar and ground of the truth. I'm not upholding the truth. If, if the people who know me out there, if the people in the world, if my neighbors, if my co-workers, if, if my friends in the community, if they know me to be a person who is not very religious at all every weekday, uh, I, I'm known to cuss and swear. I tell dirty jokes. I go out drinking with the fellows after work. If, if they know that I'm not even particularly faithful to my wife, if they're aware of the fact that I'm regularly viewing pornography, if the people of the world know that about me, how would I be then the pillar and ground of the truth? 
I'm not, am I? I'm not upholding God's truth when I'm not living it in my daily life. And so again, I think this is maybe the most basic premise or the very basic way in which which we can uphold the truth is by living it. In 1 Peter 2, verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here the word Gentiles is used in the sort of generic sense, meaning people who are, are not God's people. So there were the Israelites and there were the Gentiles. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. And so I think Peter is using the term Gentile here to mean those who are not God's people. What do you do to those who are not God's people? Well, you keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior excellent. Is your behavior excellent? Are you setting a great example before the people of the world who are not God's people? Young people, are you setting an excellent example? Is your behavior excellent? Those who are older, do they still see that in you? The people around you still see excellent behavior? That's how you uphold the truth. That's how you are the pillar and ground of the truth. I don't know how we state that any plainer, do you? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. All right, he's talking about example here, right? He's talking about how we appear before those in the world. We're to shine as lights in this world. We're to set a good example. We're to uphold God's truth by how we live it. I want to draw your attention to the word here. Be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. What does that imply to you? If we're told to be harmless, wouldn't the opposite of that be that we could do harm? That we could actually be doing harm if we are not living pure moral lives? In the midst of this crooked and perverse nation, we're not shining as lights in the world, then we're doing harm. We are not upholding God's truth. We'll do harm. I'm really concerned that when Christians are not living right, they're doing more harm than we can possibly undo. And so, in a congregation of a hundred people, if there's two or three who are out there in the world doing evil, setting bad examples, those two or three can do more harm than all the rest of the congregation can do trying to undo it. Be blameless and harmless. You're, you're responsible for being the pillar and ground of the truth, upholding the truth. Live it and live it right. Obviously, if we're the pillar and ground of the truth, we're going to be spreading the truth. I, I suspect that this is probably what we think of first. The church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And this is definitely an important consideration. As God's people, we should be spreading His truth. We know it. We've imbibed it. We live it. And we spread it to those around us. The church at Thessalonica was commended for their work in this regard. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God's word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Isn't that pretty amazing? What a tremendous commendation of the church at Thessalonica. Would the same be said of the church at College View? 
Well, we do some collective things that we are hoping affect the spread of the gospel. One thing that we do is we support gospel preachers working in various fields, very often in places where they would not be able to be if it were not for the fact that we were able to send them some financial support. Uh, Right now we're supporting eight men in various places preaching the gospel. Three of those men are in South America. Others here in the States in places where the churches are small and not able to support preachers on, on their own. That, that's a good collective work. That's, that's a spreading of the gospel. Maybe much like Thessalonica. We do other things. Uh, uh, we, we do our regular weekly uh, online Bible study, the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. We, we live stream our worship services and Bible classes. So we're, we're trying to get the word out there congregationally. We're trying to get the word out there on the internet. We do our annual community Bible study at the Memorial Building. We have other meetings. We put out a bulletin. And in recent months, we've been mailing a bulletin to the mail routes nearest to the church building here on a regular basis. So all of that suggests us being the pillar and ground of the truth in a congregational collective sense, which is very good. And we, we should be grateful that we have the privilege and opportunity and ability to do those kind of things collectively. And we should desire to do even more of that sort of thing, which I hope we can. But all of that is no substitute for individual effort to spread the truth of God. And so congregationally, we, we, you might point to say, well, the congregation that I'm a member of is doing this and this and this. Good. But what are you doing? What am I doing? Individually, what are we doing to spread God's truth? That's the question we ought to be asking. Thessalonica was commended. Would the church at College View be commended on this very important assignment of spreading the truth? We're the pillar and the ground of the truth. And then finally, let me suggest to you that as the pillar and ground of the truth, we need to defend the truth. Truth comes under attack. It always does. It always has. That's not new. That's always been the case. Mostly, the attacks against truth come from without. You know, the church has what we might refer to as enemies in the secular world. And we mentioned in our Bible class that our world is becoming an increasingly secular place. They don't think about God. They don't have any place for God in their ways of thinking and doing. And so, these enemies from without can produce persecution. They often have. Uh, they, can, they can ridicule those of us who are trying to live according to God's truth. Uh, uh, they can mock the standards that are set forth in the Word of God that we're trying to live by, and they do. And so to all of those enemies in the secular realm who are attacking us, we need to defend the truth. That is God's truth, and it is right, and that lives are made better by it. Unfortunately, a lot of the attacks against truth come from the religious world. Uh, there are a lot of false teachers in the religious world. And, and every time a false teacher teaches his false doctrine, he's attacking God's truth. It's our job to defend the truth against those religious false teachers. Sometimes we hear folks say that we're paying too much attention to the doctrinal matters of God's Word. I don't think that's possible. Now, it's possible we could neglect other matters, but it's not possible to put too much emphasis on the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so, and so when religious false teachers teach false doctrines, we defend the truth. We uphold, we're the pillar and ground of the truth in the sense that we defend it against those attacks. Sadly, we have to note that sometimes the truth is attacked from within. Even among God's own people, sometimes there are attacks on truth. But that's not new, and it shouldn't surprise us, because remember, we've often referenced in recent weeks Paul's meeting with the elders at Ephesus. And he warned that some of the trouble would come from within. And so even from within the church, among God's own people sometimes, the truth will be under attack. Jude verse 3 says, contend earnestly for the faith. And you've got to emphasize the word earnestly. This has got to be an important thing for us. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. If we're going to be the pillar around the truth, we're going to defend the truth. 1 Peter 3.15. We often use this verse and, and urge it upon one another as individual Christians, but it applies to us collectively as well. Both as individuals and collectively, what should we do? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This expression, give an answer, in the New American Standard Version, it says to make a defense. Be ready always to make a defense. Well, that's what we need to do, right? If we're the pillar and ground of the truth, we've got to be able to defend it against all who would abuse the things that are taught in the Word of God. So the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's the, that's the descriptive that Paul gave there in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. And that being the case, there's some pretty clear assignments that associate to that description. You've got to know what the truth is. You've got to take it in and then live it, demonstrate it. You've got to spread the truth. You've got to defend the truth. We need to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say this morning. I hope it's helpful and encouragement to us all in regards to the truth that God has revealed to us through His Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening this morning. We're going to end our lesson with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll ask you to be thinking about yourself. How do you stand with God? If you're not yet a Christian, but you understand those simple steps in the plan of salvation, we hope you'll respond. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been living faithfully, come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.